the outer rim. The fans are represented by two separate yet equally important groups. The writers who make interesting things to say, and the actors who say them. These are their stories. Bum bum bo do 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 do. <laughs> so we get a little Law & Order Star Wars <laughs> crossover to start the podcast today. Thank you for that intro, Jamie. You're Very welcome. good. Very good. Okay, we are back at Mangum Talk Star Wars. We are here to record a podcast talking about the latest episode of Mandalorian called Guns for Hire that, Jamie, I don't know if you've noticed, but the internet has things to say about this episode. Woo-wee, is it controversial. I've mostly stayed away from that so that I could have my own strong feelings for this show, but I'm, I'm glad that you have uh, checked in with the pulse of the people. Uh, yeah, people have a lot of really interesting thoughts about this episode. This is episode six of the season, of season three. It's overall chapter 22 called Guns for Hire. We got basically a little detective mystery here with Bo-Katan and Mando as they visited a planet called Plazier 15, I believe, and they worked on a droid malfunctioning problem that Lizzo and Jack Black had on the planet. So that was really interesting. Uh, you, As soon as you watched the episode, or at least I felt like it was pretty soon after, you texted us that you have feelings, not opinions. You have feelings about this episode. I'm going to back up, let you just take the floor and tell us what your feelings are about this episode. I have feelings. So I have so many feelings, and they are all over the board, and I don't know how useful it is to even just spew them at you. But one, it was very distracting having effectively cameos by famous people who look like themselves. I do know that Star Wars has had that sometimes. They on purpose cast not famous people, like Mark Hamill was not famous beforehand, but Harrison Ford was. Like, people who watched at the time, they knew who Harrison Ford was before that they first movie. This wasn't his first movie ever. Um so it was distracting, and I feel like that's on me that it was distracting, but it really was. Uh, the fact that it was kind of a joke episode, right? Like, the, the painfulness, uh, well, painfulness. You can tell I, I, I'm, I have lots of feelings and very poorly ability to word them. Having a Law & Order episode, because that's really what it was, in the middle of the season, is troubling to me. And has made me rethink a lot of things. When Community, the TV show, which if you haven't seen that, we will have to do a viewing podcast. Oh, for I've seen show. it. Absolutely. Okay, good. Fantastic. Possibly my favorite TV show of all time. It's so um, good. One of my favorite episodes of that is their Law & Order episode. Yeah. They even had a cameo by Law & Order actors. I loved it. Um, but that's a comedy show that had its, as its part of its shtick that it would have an episode that was claymation and an episode that was animated and an episode that was a musical and like that was part of its thing. It feels different, and it hits different in Star Wars, where I kind of expect them all to be a little bit similar. I've enjoyed that, you know, uh, Andor has a different tone and feel and focus. I've enjoyed that. But Andor kind of was Andor, and it still was within a standard deviation of what I expect out of Star Wars. And having a random Law & Order homage episode is not. And it was not even that oh, it was a buddy cop thing, or oh, it was a detective thing. I've long said I like how the Star Wars universe, you can put anything in it. You could have a film noir movie or TV show that's unrelated to anything in anything else. It just it takes place there because it's a cool universe. You could have a romantic comedy. You could have a Law & Order um, uh, Geonosis or whatever. Sure. Um, 
But having it like this, at least in the middle of another show, was really off-putting, and I didn't like it. And it makes me wonder whether I actually would hate having a film noir or a buddy comedy, like the or a more by-the-numbers buddy comedy, or a sitcom of some friends in an apartment on Alderaan, or something like that, because I, I did not like that here. Um, I think that Jack Black was wasted, because he did fine, he did good. Anybody, famous or not, could have done just as good as him. Lizzo, I don't know how much of an actress she is. She did the role correctly, like that fit the role perfectly, but felt like that was kind of a waste, only as a nod to the audience. Uh, Doc Brown did better than average. He did a good job. Um, yeah, he but was still, good, for sure. He, yeah. he, he, he did better than average. I love Jack Black, but his performance here was merely good. Um, and even Doc Brown, his performance was merely very good. You could have had a hundred different no-name or famous actors do it. I don't like that they threw Bo-Katan's basically coronation at the tail end of a joke episode, which a lot of people are going to kind of skip over or ignore. I think that kind of almost did her dirty because it feels like it was two episodes sandwiched between each other that had nothing to do with each other, more than just, hey, there's a side quest. But the tone shift, the plot shift, the fact that it was an an entire 20 minute wink to the audience. I loved it, but I didn't. I have feelings. And then I have feelings about actually stuff that happens in it, but this is just the fact that they did it. And if anyone wants to say that this was not a law and order specific, not even homage parody, they had the coroner scene. They've never had a coroner scene with the, the talk. Oh, and, and who, who was, did she have to go shout out afterwards? Dick Wolf! I mean, Axe Wolf! His name was Axe Wolf. At the end of every Law & Order episode, big Dick letters Wolf. produced by Dick Wolf. They named him Dick Wolf. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean, it clearly was a nod to Law & Order. You know, you said in the past that you were like, and you, you started out by saying that you were rethinking this, right? But you said, give me friends in Star Wars. Give me Law and Order in Star Wars. Give me this yeah. in Star Wars. Like, you were okay with that. So, like, yeah. I was interested to hear your thoughts. I do have a specific question for you, though. Sure. The Star Wars celebration this week, which is basically the big Disney-promoted con that they do one weekend a year, which, by the way, at some point in our lives, it'll probably be when we're, like, 50 or 60. We have got to go to this thing. Like, I feel like you and I, Love to. we have to go at some point. When when the world dies down sure. and, and kids are grown and all of this, it would be so awesome to go. Well, they said that what they were doing is with a number of the television shows, so Mandalorian is, is one of them, Boba Fett's another, and Ahsoka is another. They're building toward a movie that Dave Filoni will direct, produce, write. That will be the big battle with Thrawn, which I think they're going to title Heir to the Empire, which if you've read the Heir to the Empire Legends book, you know that's a big battle with Thrawn. So they're building toward – I know you don't know who Thrawn is yet, but he, in essence, is the – Thanos. He's Star Wars Thanos. I'd say Space <clears throat> Thanos. Thanos came from space. He's Star Wars Thanos. He's the highest-ranking military personnel in the Empire left after Vader and the Emperor die, and he is kind of running shit in the background in the Outer Rim for the remnants of the Empire – Right now, they're all building toward a battle to that. So my question is, do we, because we know we're building toward this, is it natural to maybe de-emphasize the individual seasons as, man, they have to get to a certain point in the plot. They have to do a certain thing, knowing this isn't the goal. They're not getting to the finish line here. The point of this episode was to, A, entertain us, and, B, 
to co- to do the coronation of Bo-Katan so that she has all the resources they can take over Mandalore because that's all building toward the battle with Thrawn. Does that change your perspective at all? No. Um, okay. I, I'm not sure if this really answers your question or not, but even if you have something bigger than these people's personal plot line, which we know things are building to, that doesn't make their personal plot line less important to them personally. Of course, they don't know what's being built to. Or to us, the audience, we're watching the story because we like it. If you think back, and I, I promise I'm not trying to overdo it, and I won't overdo it, but the idea the first round of Marvel movies were building towards the Avengers, that didn't make the stakes in any of the original movies less important, or that they didn't have somewhere worth getting to on their own, or somewhere that they needed to get to to serve the Avengers. You know, Thor had to get his power back and beat his brother. Iron Man needed to survive and to meet Nick Fury. Like we, we had to get to those points still. And the fact that getting to those points now is serving each individual movie or each TV show is serving its own and is also serving a bigger overarching theme can be done well or poorly. And so far I have no reason to think they're going to do that poorly. Um, it does make me worry that they will shoehorn things in that don't come organically or help the story at hand. Uh, but so far, I don't feel like that's what happened. The most true warning is just that we've been talking about Thrawn a little bit, and that's fine. That has been so far very subtle world building, and I've enjoyed it. Yeah, and you'll get you, one thing we did learn at the Star Wars Celebration through a trailer for the Ahsoka series is that in August when Ahsoka premieres, you will get Thrawn. You will get the character. You will see who he is. You will. It, so it won't just I, be me and Spencer talking about it on a podcast. You'll find I, I saw they character. cast him. Did you see who he's cast as? Yeah, I did. And he's the guy who did the voice in Rebels for him. So that's kind of exciting. Okay. I, I didn't recognize him, even though I've seen one, some of the stuff he's been in. So uh, he, he's vaguely recognizable. I don't have an opinion about him as an actor. I also don't have an opinion about, uh, you know, Shrimpy, the character, who I'm going to try to keep calling him that until he blows me away and I, like, have to retract it. Because that'll be a fun time when I like have to eat my words and say, no, Shrimpy's grown up. He's, he's actually as cool as you said. Yeah, Thrawn's he cool. He, he's cool. He's kind of the um, – yeah, he, he's just all he, – in the six books that they've done, I've read five of the six Thrawn books. He's always – he's smarter than the Emperor, which, I mean, I guess is a, the, maybe the highest compliment you can give in the Star Wars universe. And he – and there's multiple situations where he is a step ahead of Palpatine in the books. So uh, he, I hope they do that justice. I'll tell you what I think of the episode. Sure. I, I enjoyed it. It was fun. It is a little surprising that we got this type of episode this late in the season, but I'm less concerned with that, knowing that this season is just a connector, a builder, along with this Oka season one, maybe Boba Fett season two, maybe Mandalorian season four, all building toward the heir to the Empire movie. So... I'm less concerned with where this plot is going with this specific season. And I was entertained. I mean, I, I, mean, I don't think, I, I don't think Lizzo's an actress that kind of shown through. I think that Jack Black played Jack Black. That's what he does. Um, I think that, uh, Christopher Lloyd is fucking awesome. He fucking he is. rules. Like, that guy is so engaging. Average. He's so engaging it, in everything he, he does. Uh, so I, I enjoyed it, it but I, I didn't overthink it, I guess. It, if it had just been him, and they also hadn't been so obvious in some of the other, you know, the coroner scene and naming somebody, you know, single syllable name Wolf and stuff like that that made me think of it. If it was just Doc Brown, I probably would have thought, that's that's kind of weird. That's kind of cool. That was fun. I, I miss that guy. It's probably all I would have thought because he did a particularly good job. When we walked in and Jack Black says, come on in, I actually turned and said, is that Jack Black? I did too. You know, I, I recognize the voice, I, yeah. 
And I, I actually said, I don't know whether I'll be happy or sad if it's actually Jack Black. And the answer was uh, both a little bit more sad than happy. I feel like he distracted more than he added. And I feel bad saying that because I do like him as an actor. And as soon as I can tell, he's a great person, too. But both him and Lizzo were more distractions than their special skills added, I thought. It feels like. Favreau is just handing out these cameo roles to his Hollywood friends. That's kind of what it feels like. Um, maybe that's a disservice to him. I don't know, but that's just what it feels like to me. Lizzo was more distracting to me than Jack Black. I'm less charmed with Jack Black than other people. Um, the whole over the top thing that he does, I, I kind of was over it in 1998, but Lizzo is a fucking massive fucking star. I mean, like she's on a different level than Jack Black. I mean, she like sells out stadiums and shit. Like, so she's so real fucking like, big I, and that, that, feel, that distracted for me. I, I feel like you saying that shows just how much I am more of a movie file and you're more of a music file. Like I couldn't sing you any of her stuff. I've heard it and I know it's amazingly good. I kind of only became aware of her when people were mad that she was using a flute and was, and turns out she was amazing at it because she's an amazing musician. So I know Jack Black a lot I more than I am. 100% that bitch. Yeah. Oh, that song. Okay. Shows you. I didn't even know she sang that, but I know that song. Okay. Um, but I, so for me, Jack Black was the bigger distraction, but at least, I don't know. He brought a little bit more because acting's his thing. Lizzo didn't do a bad job. I'm not aware of her doing other acting. I don't know how good she usually is. Her character, the character she made seemed a bit um, stilted, but I accepted that as fitting the character. So I think a bad actor could have done just as good a job. Whether she's good or bad, I have no idea. She did the, the role correctly um, for what the I mean, character like, was Lizzo, Lizzo is so big that at the Grammys this year, they sat her next to Adele. And literally after every single person won, they would just cut to Lizzo and Adele to see what they thought of it like it was almost like the oh harry styles won now let's go to lizzo and adele in the audience to see if we're allowed to cheer for it like she's almost attained beyonce levels of like oh gosh like lizzo is speaking for all of us so she was like by far the biggest star that was in this thing i feel like she's not an actress i feel like that's shown through I, i'm not trying to be like mean to her or anything but, no, it, but it, it wasn't it, it her her performance didn't tell me oh this is this is uh, this look, is an actress look, this is a musician right in the musical episode of Buffy, they wrote the song specifically for Sarah Michelle Gellar because she's not a very good singer. So they wrote songs that she could sing. Lizzo is, you know, a prodigy, genius, amazing, good musician. She's not known for her acting. They wrote her a role that somebody who's not good at acting can do sure. perfectly. Like, it, it was not bad at all. But again, I feel like any other actor, famous or otherwise, could have done exactly as good as she did and not been distracting. So I don't know why. They were doing it maybe, as you said, as a favor, probably not. Um, well, but, not know, necessarily a favor, but like he, he's having the people that he has met in L.A. that he likes, he's having in the show. And that and, might and be normal. Be, like, OK, if I was doing the show, I would get you a part. You probably would be under like prosthetics or something, but you'd be you. You would be able to say you were in the Star Wars universe. And you'd be able to point to your guy and you'd have your action figure of you. I would do that for every person I know if they wanted to. I wrote a uh, podcast network. You're on it. I there mean, I would, I would clearly do the same thing. Like, I don't, I don't go. blame him for that. Um, I expect an action figure. Uh, Spencer's Spence supposed to get us things, right? We need to request action figures. Yeah, Spencer, damn it. The, Prosthetics are us, Get us some action figures. All right. Um, so let's, um, anyway. uh, let me, let me explain. So that what we're going to do in this episode is I'll go through the recap, then we'll do best line of the episode, and then we'll do nostalgic moment of the episode. That's what we do here on Mango Talk Star Wars. We'll go through the episode, 
beat by beat, doing a recap. We'll do best line of the episode, and then we'll do nostalgic moment of the episode. Before I jump into the recap, any other th- general thoughts you want to say about the episode? Um, nothing that we can't do during the recap. As a spoiler, I'm going to want to talk about the droids a bit, because that gave me a whole new topic, which I could probably talk about for an hour. I'll wait till we get to it, though. I saw some of your tweets about that. I think that's going to be an interesting discussion. Okay, so this is Guns for Hire, and the previously on, we got Bo. Katana and the crew she was rolling with during the last season, which includes the boss, Sasha Banks, uh, WWE superstar, three-time world heavyweight champion, currently signed with New Japan Pro Wrestling. She's awesome. We also get Bo wielding the Darksaber. And uh, we get this line, without the creed, what are we, what do we stand for? Our people are scattered like stars in the galaxy. Then we get the armor. It ends with, it is time for us to retake Mandalore with a shot of Bo. So, in fact, this is a Bo-centered episode. Doesn't doesn't shock me. We get the intro. We start with a ship. Looks like some sort of cruiser. We get a, what species is this? Do you know the species of this thing that's in the water tube? I do not. I did not look it up. Okay. I wish I had. They are talking about the trade routes to Trask. What's planet? planet we know i i do want to point out at first i was thinking oh you know they have to be in the water do they need like low gravity to survive or something then i thought they're in space they can make the gravity as low as they want then i saw oh well maybe she can only sit in natural air then she walks around i was like oh she just likes being in the water she is doing that because it's fun that's her showing off that's i'm the captain and i get to be all comfy while everybody else has to sit in air like plebes i love that a little bit yeah, and then the leader of the group is asked about an Empire ship that is approaching them, if they have a chance of defeating it. Then we get a shot of the Imperial Star Destroyer-esque type thing. I don't think it's quite an Imperial Star Destroyer. It looks like maybe a JV version of that behind them. We, we uh, talked about how we are pretty sure that there's different sizes of Star Destroyers beyond just the big one and the little one. So yeah. it's, uh, it's a Star Destroyer. Yeah, then she talks to the Imperial ship. Then we cut to the ship. We see that they are actually Mandalorians sitting there, and they are the people who were with Bo the previous season including Sasha Banks, the boss. He explains that he is a privateer, and they were hired by a certain Mon Calamari viceroy. Is this is this who we think it is? I'm going to guess no. Admiral Akbar? Is this Admiral Akbar? It could be. Star Wars likes to weirdly tie things together. Just, uh, oh, I recognize that guy. Um, so it could be. I bet they picked that title on purpose. But there have to be, like, more. We know he's alive because he's, he, he's alive in the sequel series, and he's alive at the end of Return of the Jedi. Do you do you think there are more than two people with that rank on Mon Calamari? Because if so, he's probably not that one. I don't know, but um, you, you are right with with genre savviness. Probably they like they like tying stuff together and having us recognize people. Yeah. Uh, who anyway? This the certain Mon Calamari advisory, which goes unnameless during the episode, thinks that and this that, that she has absconded with her son. She mentions that there would be an act of war, and he said, and she. Says he knows it's not an act. Of, she's like, this is not an act of war. I'm not trying to, not trying to war. And he goes, I didn't say anything about war. I know you did it for love. Then the guy runs in. It's a Mon Calamari, and he says, he loves this person who is named Captain Shagoff, and doesn't want to leave. Don't make us damage your girlfriend's pretty little ship, says the Mandalorian. She says she can't risk everything for a foolish fling. There's a little back and forth between Captain Shagoth and the, the Mon Calamari. He says, we know fate was not on our side. He says he loves her. She says she loves him too, but um, they have to leave. Right? She has to leave. And, and then someone named Koss Keeves, which I believe is um, Sasha Banks' character, comes in and takes him. And he says, I thought Mandalorians were honorable. And Sasha Banks says, we are, kid. It only takes a few credits. End of scene. So I, I will say I loved 
the whole, ah, just a young fling. Is that all it was? She's like, no. And then she's like, I love you, and we're going to see each other again. Uh, but she was, like, trying to convince herself. Trying Tentacle to talk kiss. Around, trying to make, what's that? Tentacle kiss. Tentacle kiss. I That and one scene with Lizzo and Jack Black was just so plausibly people in a relationship together. Um, I loved that. Just just good writing and good acting in the scene and in that one both um, of, you know, they have this history, somebody, you know, trying without it being a big deal. I love it when writers, especially, but also actors do something normal without making a big deal about it. Like when they were saying, you know, saying, oh, it's just a little fling. But that wasn't a you called it the fling. We're breaking up. It's a is that true? It's like, no, like, I'm, I'm just saying next, I'm trying to make this easier on both of us kind of thing. And yep. I loved it. Um, and yeah, I, how much do you think, cause I did see somebody say this from this scene and what you see later, how much do you think the Mandalorians are happy or unhappy that they're acting as mercenaries as their jobs right now? Wolf seems pretty happy about it. I'm mm-hmm. not quite sure everybody else there is that, that I think that's the implication it certainly is at the end of the episode when none of them are ready to jump on Wolf's side and say, no, we're not, we're not going with Bo. They were very much willing to say, all right, well, if we go with Bo, we go with Bo. I, I'm not sure they love it, but it looks like their leader is, has jumped into this thing. Yeah. Anyway, good intro. It was interesting. Uh, it did give you like a double twist surprise. I didn't see it coming. Um, I will say it, it gave me pause wondering how did they get that Empire ship? Have they been doing work for Thrawn? Because anybody with money can hire them. That's what I thought. But when Bo didn't seem surprised by it, it makes me think that that's part of the uh, armada that she built. It is, yeah. That 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 okay. tricked me Good. too because I my one of the things I I guessed last episode is that Thrawn would have had access to tons of Beskar through you know being in control of the Outer Rim and ostensibly having control of Mandalore. And I thought that this was all Thrawn that was involved in this. It looks like it's not. It looks like. These folks took over a fleet that Bo assembled that included some old decommissioned Imperial ships, and they were the ones that um, were hired to take uh, the Moff Gideon. That's that's what I I, I want to backtrack. It is still a guess, but I'm going to retract my prior guess, make a new guess that, yes, the Mandalorians are the ones who released Moff Gideon. They were paid to do so. Yes. Um, Because that would have been a really weird plant to on a ship that you figure will get found eventually, but you just left floating somewhere, leaving a little piece of Beskar to insinuate a small group that nobody really cares about anymore. That would be really weird as like a a red flag to plant. Um, I agree. And and I never thought it was a plant. I always thought it was just just Thrawn was using Beskar. And and, and, but I I think it I think that I think the. Occam's razor here. I think, I think they're Thrawn hired these, these Mandalorians. Exactly. Cut to Bo's ship. She's up front with Grogu. I saw a lot of people online who seem to be predisposed to back complaining about the episode saying it didn't make any sense. Grogu was sitting up front with Bo-Katan. Let me speak for Grogu here. One, Bo like, Grogu likes Bo. Like they are friends. He, he likes Bo. He trusts Bo. He sees that dad likes Bo. Two, he likes looking out of the windshield, like always does, always wants to be up front, always wants to be checking it out, and seems to be, and this is something we're getting a little bit more each episode, seems to be really interested in flying, seems to be watching the specific movements of the pilots, seems to be watching the buttons, would not be surprised if years down the road we see Grogu is a pretty pretty uh, knowledgeable pilot, basically. Um, Can I add back. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, to back you up, of, of course he's up there. Three, they're not going into a difficult flight situation or a fight. So there's no reason. There's a chair there, and there's no reason for Mando to be sitting there. So why not have him up there? You're on a 
Sunday evening drive, as far as, you know, into a peaceful planet with friendlies. And four, he's he's Grogu. He'll sit wherever the hell he wants. He's awesome. I feel like people online forget that sometimes. But I want yeah, to like, that back. <clears throat> yeah, and like you – I mean, you, you've got kids. Like, long drive, you do – you put the kid wherever the kid's going to be preoccupied so the kid's not, like, fussing and raising hell and doing all kinds of stuff. You say, oh, if the kids get interested in looking out the front door, let's – Put him there so he can, so that he's preoccupied. Oh, what, so when I was a kid, we had one of those station wagon things where we had normal seats in the <clears> back, but then you had backwards facing seats in the trunk. And if it was a long car ride, we would get the choice of where we wanted to sit, looking forwards or backwards, of whatever's going to keep us, you know, most content and quiet. Yeah, they see the fleet that Bo previously pulled together. Mando guesses that wolves won't be happy to see her. Axe Wolves is the guy's name. Axe Wolf. Jamie, Jamie previously alluded to the fact that it's probably a Dick Wolf reference, probably still into the Law and Order thing. Then we get music and we hear it's Plazier 15. Do, 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 do. Welcome to Plazier 15. The Outer Rim is only remaining direct democracy. They then take control of the ship, take them in. Bo sits back, says, well, I guess we're going for a ride. And when she says, I guess we're going for a ride, Grogu seems to get a kick out of that. He coos, he kind of laughs. I have a problem here. Fire away. How terrible are her firewalls that they can just take control of the ship? I'm not was, sure. Was it, was it a tractor beam and they physically grabbed her? That's what I thought it was. I, oh. I didn't think it was, I didn't think they were going into the ship. I thought it was like a, it was like a gravitational thing. They're just yanking it in. I will choose to believe that because at the time it seemed as if she lost control of the ship and the ship stopped responding to her controls as if they had hacked it. And that would make me, Really confused why hacking other people's ship controls isn't a normal thing that they do in every single fight, and also how bad is Bo at her job. I accept a planet can have a tractor being strong enough to grab a ship. Sure. Okay. I Thank you. You've helped me assume. And, and we certainly reason. know that some large ships have a tractor beam that can pull your ship in, right? We've seen big Imperial ships do this. I don't feel before. like that ever happened. <laughs> we get a beautiful planet. It kind of looks like Epcot, actually. I'm just saying. It does. Yeah. It does. It I'm, looks I'm a lot like a little Epcot. intentional, or at least I'm they're sure aware. It is. Yeah. yeah, you know the the Disney influence. It's it's really starting to be. Uh, but but subtle stuff like that. Of, like okay, point the of frustration. Look like Epcot. I don't care. Like Epcot looks futuristic for a reason. This looks futuristic in a honestly only vaguely similar way. I mean, if the, you had a hundred people write future worlds, more than two of them are going to look like this. Doesn't bother me either, but it does bother yeah. some people. They get out. Mando says it's interesting. They walk up to black versions of C-3PO and R2-D2. That's what it looked like to me. Uh, they tell them to proceed to the subway-esque thing. Mando notices the droids are Imperial. That's why they're black. And Bo has no idea why they are using Imperial droids. Bo asks to go see wolves and the folks, and, and the folks tell them that they are, they must need permission, um, to go see them. They scan their code. And they are told the leadership of the planetary democracy wants to see them. Please do not attempt to leave the vehicle. This is not a request. And off they go. It's a beautiful shot. I, I did love this. It's not a request. It's just a variant of I've spoken. But I also have you in my car. So, you know, authoritarianism, whatever. It's fine. We do see some beautiful stuff in this episode. I mean, they, they clearly spend a lot of time on the background. Um, the shots as they're flying around in the subway thing is really cool. Mando asks if they're going to have to blast their way out. But says, we'll find out. They walk out, walk into the hallway. We hear classical music playing. The door opens and we see a massive feast going on, punctuated by a big punch bowl in the ceiling with some sort of creature in it and little tubes going down for everybody to drink out of. They walk in and it's Jack Black and Lizzo. I don't know these characters' names. I'm going to call them Jack Black and Lizzo. Yeah. King and queen if you really want to. But yeah. They are all kinds of creatures there. I saw a Thorian. I saw a frog. I saw a Rodian. Um, 
Wait, were, frog like frog lady? Yeah, there was frog like frog lady there. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is actually important. She's apparently not the last of her species. So Grogu didn't commit genocide. He only did anyone, killed her eggs. Did anybody believe that? That they she I was did. literally the last of the whole species? I the, wor- the wording that she used implied that she was the last of her species. It I, was not explicit, but that was the language she maybe she was overselling it even, but that's yeah. it was implied. I I never really believed that down to like okay. I, a, down I to did. like a, down to I, the frog. <laughs> down I'm to glad a to frog. find out I was wrong because you know, genocide's kind of a hard thing to get over no matter how cute Grogu is. Just saying. So it's wait a second. It's genocide if there's if, if that one person doesn't exist. So extinct. It doesn't matter if you're killing people or like sterilizing them. That's still genocide under most like earth laws at least. So it ending I, a species or a race is kind of the definition of genocide regardless of how it is achieved. We usually think of it as far as killing large numbers of people, but ending a line of species or race is also uh, genocide under under Earth laws. Yeah. Just think, uh, first off, I didn't ever believe her that they were literally the last people ever from that species. I, I am glad you're. I think right. she was. I think she was trying to sell it to Mando to get to get Mando's help. I I, um, I, I admit you're right, and I misinterpreted, and I'm glad I did. We also got an Athorian there, which we remember Athorians from Mayor Mokshay's from the Book of Boba Fett, which mm-hmm. big hammerhead speaks outside of his mouth. Immediately, Jack Black's character explains that he once was an Imperial officer. He isn't anymore. He explains that as part of the New Republic Amnesty Program, there's a callback from a couple episodes ago, he was able to rebuild Plazier 15. Lizzo mentions that he came back and helped them all rebuild. Lizzo is a member of the historic royal family of Plazier 15. However, they explain later on that while Lizzo is part of the royal family, they have held elections, and I guess Lizzo was democratically elected. So she's both royalty and a democratically elected leader. Convenient, that. Grogu seems really interested in this story. I don't know if you noticed. I'm always on Grogu Watch. And as she's talking, Grogu's locked into Lizzo. She then asks if she can hold the baby. Mando does not like that idea. She holds up some food. Grogu does like that idea. Big, big leaping jump over and starts to eat. Jack Black starts to laugh at that. Lizzo explains that they held elections. First time in their history. And, of course, the royals were elected. I don't love Convenient. it. I don't love it. I don't feel good about it. Oh, Princess Amidala. <laughs> the princess who was elected and then isn't princess anymore. Like, why call them princess at that point? But, okay, whatever. Yeah, I wonder, is that kind of the same thing? Because didn't she get pulled out of the role of princess to be a senator? You couldn't be both, right? No, you, you had a, you had term limits for princess of Nabu. Uh, and then she, you then literally she had phased term limits. Uh, so this is like the governor, this is, this is like in America where the two term governor goes on to the United States Senate. Yeah. So what I'm going to say, uh, what, here's my headcanon for this. They did something where they've separated out, but allowed that the same person can be both prime minister and king and if he hadn't a one he would still be the king and queen but then they would be ceremonial like england and so now he's the prime minister and the king because they never had one before and instead of a prime ministership being forced on the ro- on the um you know kind of oppressive royalty this was the royalty saying look everybody we trust you and we think you're gonna make good choices and our country's great it can be better uh, who do you want to vote for? And just like how, you know, George Washington was kind of unanimously picked to be the first president. Sure. I'll vote for the king and queen to be our first president and 
President S. So that's what I think. I think they're both. And if they ever got voted out, they'd still be king and queen, but just less. That's my headcanon. That probably won't matter. I don't think we're going to get into politics of this world again. But So this would be like if uh, if Prince Charles ran for prime minister and got elected, which I'm sure you would support. I'm sure you would love that idea. You're, you're a big Prince Charles guy. I know that. Wait, which one's Charles? The older one or the younger one? The king. <laughs> oh, no, the old, old one. Uh, can, it, can it be like his younger son who lives, lives in Texas? Can that uh, guy be prime minister? You're going to learn that when you do podcasts with me, I like to throw in little sarcastic jibes about things that you really don't like or really don't care about. And I'll just I, continue I, to throw them at you. I continue, I do this to Spencer three times a podcast. I, I have moderate amounts of not really caring about the British royalty, but I know that the younger son <laughs> is is my favorite because he makes interesting things happen. I don't know. Chaos agent. Mando wants to know about the privateer warship docked in their field. Lizzo says they hired them for protection and they can't have a state military because of her husband's imperial past. She asked if they can. Speak. Sense. Yeah, it does make sense. Yeah. He, Bo asked if they can speak to him. Jack Black says, well, you can, but there's one condition. You must see the view. So they walk off. Lizzo explains that they have a problem. This is when they, their tone changes. And I there's always the this be part. The problem. I, I expected oh. them to show and like, like Thrawn's army out there or something weird. I, I, they, yeah, they threw me a threw me a small curve. I like the small curve. That is a, that would have been a so we always do get this moment in the Law and Order episodes, right? Where it's like the protagonists the they get pulled aside. I guess oh, let me let me like the detective like let me let me really explain to you what's going on here, and you get this sort of like quick download of the plot of the episode. That's what's happening here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have a droid problem, coordinated malfunction. Jack Black says they oversaw the program. The choice were established for peaceful work. Trust me. Trust me. I saw it. I saw it. Trust me. Trust me. This is the one really good acting of their relationship. I love the whole, like, I, she's like, oh, yeah, we tried really hard. He's like, I didn't try really hard. I told you. I checked. I checked the drawer. Look, no, no, that suitcase is not in the attic. I checked the whole attic. It's not there. It must be in the basement or something. I don't know what to tell you. It's not in the attic. I, I, I checked. I was there. I checked it. Checked it twice. Yes. You're right. It is a good acting because he seems almost embarrassed that his wife is questioning it. Yep. Um, and wants her to like, but he, he wants her to be quiet, but he doesn't want to hush her. So he's just like, no, like, just a amount of deference because he, he like, he's king because he married her, right? Correct. Okay. So there is still a certain amount of he is a king and he matters and she respects him. But this this is you how don't have the bloodline. It would take a good actor to do as good, but any of them could, I think. Because there's a subtlety there. There's a certain amount of pride, but also a certain amount of deference. She is the actual royalty. Then the droids started to malfunction. Traffic accidents, dropping things, even assault, which Bo's like assault. They explained that they were permitted. Uh, they were there are sorry, they were restricted from having an army come onto the planet. Their constables aren't even allowed to carry blasters. So it became clear what they're asking during the course of this discussion. They want Ando and Bo to figure out what's going on with their main fact, menu fun, uh, uh, malfunctioning droids. Mando and Bo are, however, allowed to carry weapons because they are a pluralistic society and weapons are a part of Mandalorian culture. Are they not? This is we've seen this come up many times. This is actually a callback to many things we've seen in the, the Mandalorian that uh, weapons are a part of the Mandalorian culture. And therefore, some places you go in the galaxy will respect that and allow him to carry in places where other people would not. So I uh, to, to, to channel Spencer, um, I love the legalizing that they're doing here. It's like, look, the. The new, you know, we are not allowed, you know, for whatever reasons in our charter, whoever stops them, whether the voters or, you know, they're independent, but the new republic has something to do with it because of amnesty or whatever. You know, we, we can't. Oh, but 
oops, my hands are tied. I can't follow that law because this other law says I have to respect other people's religions and your religion is guns. So, oops, I have to. I will say they could have just like not had all the Mandalorian strong arms come in. They act like, oh, we found a Mandalorian. Great. Well, you've got a whole bunch out there. Maybe you can't let an army into your city. You can let one of them in or two of them in or something. They could. I don't know. That was a little bit silly, but I loved I, I really did enjoy. It was fun. The whole we found a technicality to our own weird rules that for some reason we think are important. They do that. Oh, oh, like the Mandalorians, where they find weird loopholes to their own self-imposed rules. Like, yep. Yeah, so she says, if you do this, you'll get permission to go talk to Wolves and his crew. I enjoy that at this point, Grogu locked in with Lizzo. Totally comfortable hanging there with her. Not a problem. Um, you certainly can lower the Grogu budget this way because Grogu, Grogu's got a budget or Grogu's got a buddy. And now you don't have to pay for the, the doll throughout the whole episode. JB explains that they do this, they'll recognize Mandalore as a uh, – Jack Black explains that if they do this, they'll recognize Mandalore as a sovereign planet, and they'll petition the New Republic to do the same. Ooh, de do. But they'll ask, what do you think? And it says, you had me at battle droids. I, I, he didn't really seem to need much convincing. He hates droids. He likes jobs. He likes violence. He likes the easy solution rather than the weird negotiating thing, at least when he sees an easy solution. Smart or not, he's – He's a hammer sometimes, and if he sees a nail, he really does not need to know anything else. Cut to Christopher Lloyd, who is the constable of the city, and and in this world, it kind of seems like maybe like a city manager type, like he runs the bureaucracy of the city. Mm-hmm. He talks them through the malfunctioning droids, how it's happening. He shows that he has a full stop button for all the droids, but citizens voted against that. Citizens are no longer required to work and can spend their days engaging in recreation, the arts, and participating in the direct democracy. If they shut the droids down, the citizens wouldn't know how to live. Bo asks, "What do you want from What do you want from them? And um, uh, what do you want from us?" And he says, "Well, we want you to root out the screwed up droids. And to do that, you've got to talk to the people who are creating, maintaining, repairing the droids, the Ugnots. So, when do you want to have your ethical discussion about the robots? Do you want to do it now? You want to wait till a later point? We'll, we'll wait a minute. We'll wait a bit. Okay. Ugnot, if you remember, this is, uh, Queel for, that we got in season one. This is Mando's buddy. I have spoken. That guy. They go below and both starts trying to talk to the Ugnots who all look very similar. I mean, you can immediately draw the distinction. They look, they look very close to, to Queel. And she starts, she's trying to talk to him. She's talking normal, but it's not working. She then says, Captain uh, Bombardier sent them. She's on and on about why they are there, and they don't look up. They just keep working, doing their thing. And then finally, Mando jumps in. This is the only bit of diplomacy that Mando engages in the entire episode that I think is deft, and I think well done. Everything else is sort of hammer-nail situation. He says, I am Mandalorian, Jinjarin, friend of Ugnot Quill. Record scratch. You will answer our questions and help us with our task. I have spoken. And they all look up and look at him. And then we see them sitting at the table. So that clearly resonates. And they go to have a discussion. So you're right. That, that is actually defter than I even gave credit for. Because when I heard that, I was like, you know, why? You know, you, They kind of act like you say you've spoken and then it's going to happen. But they could still just ignore him. They don't have, as far as we know, some kind of code that you have to. Simon says when somebody says it. But he did know enough of, look, I know your ways a little bit. And I know one of your guys you're going to talk to us, would actually be enough to make them want to talk to him. So he was right. He did speak, and he knew he was right. Uh, so it, it was well done. Yeah, I th- I really do think it was. Um, and I'm I'm the one on this podcast every week calling Jinjarin not particularly intelligent, dumb, whatever word you want to use. But he did take away an understanding of the Ugnot culture from his interactions with Quill, and he uses them well here. And, you know, this really – every time I've mentioned – 
that Jin might, Jin Jara might not be that smart. You've always come back with culture arguments. He speaks multiple languages. He understands how to get around in the galaxy. Like, I mean, like, kind of proves your point here that like he was able to take this interaction with Quinn, with Quill, and use it to his advantage and be pretty skillful in his dis- discussions with these like nuts. So shout, I'm trying to give I'm trying to give my guy Jinjar a compliment. Shout out Jinjar. I, I won't need to refight that every episode. We can move on. It's fine. Hey, I think he's doing a good. I was saying he's doing yeah, a good job. Is, I'm, I'm giving him good. credit. I'm giving him credit. Um, we are not in any way suggesting your work is to blame. Your skill. This is where he's like really subtle, right? Because he recognizes they take a lot of pride in their work. They take a pride. They have take pride in their work ethic. You can't question. You kind of can't question that without insulting them. Shout out, shout out, Chinjarin. He says your skill with Smith and Machine are legendary. We know that Ugnats are considered the hardest working species in the galaxy. They like that. A lot of head bobbing. Yeah, they like mm-hmm. that one a lot. We like you and have been, we like you have been engaged with the task to perform. We will investigate the dangerous incidents. We will appreciate your help. They give them the location of the droids they seek. Thank you. We are in your debt. I have spoken. Later, Mando explains to Bo that he spent time with Ugnots. Kind of loud there. Ugnot. And there is a particular way of communicating with them. Accusing their work of malfunctioning, malfunctioning was an insult. He's right. Yep. No, the whole thing works really well. And, and, and the, I like when things are done like this because they did something which at first blush made me do a little bit of a back take on why are they acting this way? This doesn't make sense. But upon further reflection, it made perfect sense. It's um, it's the opposite of Dark Knight Rises where things felt good, but then you think about it and they hurt. This one, I was like, oh, why are they saying the droids aren't malfunctioning? They obviously are. Why are they going to try to lie? How are they going to do that? And the answer is. Well, they, they kind of have to for cultural, for pride, for whatever reason, say there are no malfunctions. Like our droids don't malfunction. I have spoken the end. That is a fact. Our droids don't malfunction because we do it right. And because we check, we know it. And he's not necessarily wrong. It turns. He's not. Yeah. Because it, it, the, 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 the malfunctioning part happens out, outside of their sphere of control. Right. Um, so the idea of there are not droids malfunctioning. He's like, we didn't mean to say that your work is malfunctioning. We mean there's some droids we need to look into, and you know which ones we need. Didn't we see battle droids? How'd you feel about seeing battle droids on screen? I got a little nostalgic there. Actually, weirdly ambivalent. Like, I, I almost didn't even... Uh, what are the rolly ball droids called? Because my brain has always called those also battle droids. I think they are. I okay. think they're just a different time. So, uh, all right. So, so ambivalent because it was neat seeing them, but when they said battle droids, I wanted the spinny ball ones. And when I didn't see spinny ball ones, I got a little disappointed. So, ambivalent. Bo explains Sorry. that yeah, my nostalgia is broken. Well, that's fine. Uh, I I thought it was pretty cool. Bo explains that she hasn't seen them since Clone Wars. Mando says he has. She asks if any of them look suspicious. They all look suspicious. That's a we'll call Obviously. back to he hates droid. Um, they're told it's a restricted area. Bo says they are there on behalf of the Duchess to investigate the droid malfunctions. Bo then Mando then starts kicking the droids to see which one of them will malfunction and freak out on a human, be violent, etc. This is his way of testing them. What do you think of Mando's way of testing the droids? Um, uh, what did you think? Because I, I didn't have a strong feeling at the time, honestly. Uh, I think it depends on your feelings about the droids. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm hinting around this ethical discussion about droids that you want to have eventually because, you know, I don't know. All right, sure. Let's talk about some of, some are, of them. Are, are some, the droids sentient beings? This is my point. If they are, then just randomly kicking ones to see which one will get mad at you isn't a great look. So so I had always kind of accepted that the droids are 
uh, what, what, I'm probably going to get more words myself, like sapient but not sentient. Like they don't have a soul, but they do have a mind. The same way, like uh, just, you know, a lot of these ships, you can kind of talk to them and they can make plans or something. They can have personalities, but it's all simulated and it's not it, – make of this what you will – but the idea that they have minds, but they don't have souls is kind of how I've taken it. And I've kind of hand waved, not worried too hard about it. You know, we had the the one droid who was into droid rights and that was interesting. But, you know, uh, they didn't follow through, at least in the movies, too hard with that thought line. And it didn't stick with me that hard. Not even here, because here, if the droids don't feel pain, eh, then him kicking it, he's just messing with them. Like he's just interrupting them. If they don't feel pain, he's not going to injure them by kicking them with his boot when they're made of metal. So if they don't feel pain, then he's not really doing any. Then I have no problem with him doing this. It's kind of a dick move, but, I mean, I'm not expecting a Mandalorian to never be a dick. Um, and if it's effective and doesn't hurt anybody, then fine. You're inconven- inconveniencing sentient or sapient beings. Whatever. If they feel pain, then that's a little different where you're, like, you know, electroshocking people to see who will get mad. Um I'm going to assume at the moment that he was not actually hurting any of them. He was only, you know, making them inconvenienced, bumping them. You know, if you if you could figure out if you had to go stop a terrorist and you could actually accurately figure out who it is by gently brushing against them like like unbreakable. Fine. You know, invade people's personal space and go brush people's shoulders gently because you're not, you know, you're being a little rude, but you're not hurting them. So. I'm trying to figure out, though, are they actually sentient beings? Do they have an internal life? Do they have a soul? Do they have, are they as real of people as the humans and other species are? Because it kind of seems like they are. They don't think, you don't usually see non-sentient beings make a bar and go hang out at a bar. That seems like they have things they want to do and they wish to relax in a setting and you could take this either way. You could take it that, yes, they actually are sentient beings. And just like they say, they have fears of being deactivated, but they are not. But they actually do, whether it's just the way they're programmed in the first place, or the way that they've developed. They are able to develop and have personalities. But all of their personalities are grateful to have a job to do and grateful of being made and wanting to be productive and not minding that they're slaves. I kind of expected this to be a slow droid uprising of ones that are mad that they're slaves and doing all the work for an entire planet. Apparently, they all like being slaves, which has its own weird problematic aspect of the happy, well-treated slaves, um, which for any of our American viewers, that's a that's a, that's a lost cause. Southern propaganda idea that all that slaves are treated well and are happy. And it's not usually accurate, at least with human slaves. Um so I'm trying to figure out, are the droids sentient, enslaved beings forced to, to risk their lives and labor, boring jobs? Or are they chat GPT bots that are really good at copying what other people would say and seeming intelligent? And they have an intelligence, but they don't have a soul. They don't have an interior internal life. They don't have happiness and sadness. They have goals and they are able to say they have dreams, but they don't really have dreams. What is it? Because either either R2-D2 is not a real person or our good guys have been enslaving people against their will for a long time in ways that are suddenly very troubling. Long rant. I want you to t- talk me down from being so just anxious about this. 
I don't think R2, I think R2-D2 is an inconsistent character with the rest of droids. I think we okay. need to we shelve R2-D2. We, we can put him to the side. I think that the droid to, to focus on to get you an answer here, or at least some semblance of something to move forward with this, is the IG droid from Season 2, or late Season 1. Okay. Like, that, that IG droid had the ability to make decisions, it had things it wanted to accomplish, etc., but it also, because of its programming, really did want to accomplish its programming. Like, it really did want to serve. Like, this isn't propaganda, it's not, because they're not humans, they're not organics. Like, it, it, it does default to its programming and truly did want to accomplish what was in its programming. And it could That's be reprogrammed, not, not, in a, not in a traditional brainwash convincing them kind of way, but as a, no, look, it's a machine, I'm going to change the code and make it a different machine. Now it wants to protect Grogu like a, like a mommy. And then it reverted to its initial programming, and it's the same droid and it's the same memory chip but now it just wants to kill him again because it doesn't actually want anything it's just has a task and has tools and knows how to put those tools together to accomplish the task including language as one of those tools yeah and if you take that that view then what the droid says in the droid bar is consistent that Hey, we really do want to serve. We want to accomplish the things that are in our program. I mean, we don't want to go away and be to be decommissioned. A, we don't just want to be wiped and be gone, but we also do have a driving, you know, um, our job would be left a, a driving desire to to finish what's in our programming, and so that that all becomes very consistent. The second you throw R two D two in, it gets fucked up because we're, that that droid they've teetered with being a person or not. But all the other ones, I think, kind of start. I mean, I don't know. I think you kind of have to gloss over some aspects of this, but I think if you just take the core idea that they are droids, that they're not humans, they do want to accomplish what they have been programmed to do. However, they are at a level of AI that they can start to make decisions, start to care about characters, start to be a character in the story. So for the sake of our conversations, are are we okay saying they are not truly sentient having a soul? Yes. Okay. That makes me feel a little better. I think that's been undermined a little bit in some of like the expanded universe stuff. I, I did a tiny bit of looking online and found some comments that I don't know how, how valid they were. So maybe we can save all that just doesn't count. Um, it is troubling and they're not treated like they're treated like they, you don't usually have non-sentient beings having droids rights activists. I mean, yeah, you have because when I, you try to tie everything that every character has said in any movie to everything else, because it's a big IP, it's it's hard to hold every person accountable to every other person enjoyed throughout the history of the show. But it's kind of what we're doing. We're trying to make a unified world where all these things happen. So I think if you you program the droid, you know, at a certain intelligence level and then you give it living conditions that are miserable that's not in accordance with their programming where you know that it's not happy with what it's being asked to do then i do think that's cruel to to what you what you've created i think you when you create something you do have a responsibility to it i mean very very loose please don't dig too deep into this because it won't hold but kind of like pets almost like where you have a pet you know what you know what a dog likes to do I mean, dogs have have things they like to do. They like to run. They like to be outside. They like to engage with humans. They like to play. They like to have chew bones. 
if you've created a dog, you breed a dog, you bring a dog into this world, you have it as a pet, and then you put it in a situation that's completely antithetical to what you know it wants to be, then you're you're being cruel and you're 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 torturing the dog. That's kind of what you can do to droids, I think. I don't know. Okay, we can move on. This is probably just going to trouble me, and I, I'm not. I think yeah, they it will. Wanted it to For be. sure. I think they they wanted this to be a thing that you kind of worry about or wonder about. Uh, and I don't think they gave us a good answer. Uh, I think what you're saying makes at least as much sense as anything else and helps us not have to, like, feel terrible. So I like it's it. It's a way to get through the episode. But, I, I yeah, it it doesn't hold – like, be, at a bare minimum, you know R2-D2 is inconsistent. Like, that, that – they are you inconsistent. You can put it aside. But, uh, well, I'm thinking, like, C-3PO, who talks about wanting also to serve his master, the maker, and so on. And then they wipe his memory and – Apparently, one of the expanded universe types of things they're talking about how at a certain point, sentience does come about, and so that's why they get their memory erased regularly or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which uh, I'm not sure if that actually makes it better or worse. If that's true. almost I, I worse think, that don't, they don't allow them to that they keep doing the memory wi- wi- wiping, right? Well, but if they do it before it becomes sentient, then it's really like, hey, you know, I, I've got the science experiment. It's, you know, a little mini planet that grows real fast. Every time it gets to fish, I reset it because I really don't want to deal with a tiny little planet in a jar full of sentient beings. So whenever they get to fish, I just reset it. Like, that wouldn't be wrong. That'd be weird, but it wouldn't be, like, evil, probably. I don't know. Yeah. So one of the droids do freak out. Mando and Bo chase it. They kill it. They find a sheet. Bo finds a spark pad within the droid that she calls the resistor. That's What's a spark pad? Is that, is, is that a lighter? A matchbook? She found a matchbook with the name of a bar on it. I think that's what it is. Spark pad, matchbook, register. And they put out police tape. <laughs> it sounds like a droid bar, she says. She says there's an address. I mean, it's very law and order that they pull they out the matchbook. They could have bad-copped it with one of them actually, like, breaking the law of how rough and threatening they are. It was exactly law and order. It was – It was. I part of me loved it, part of me hated it, and part of me just wanted to rewatch the community episode that was a law and order homage. She says there's an address. They take off. She tells Mando she's going to do the talking. Now, he, did, he didn't do a great job of talking to droids. So they walk in. It's a droid bar. I hadn't really seen many droid bars in the expanded universe. I know they exist, but I haven't seen many of them. It always kind of shocks me when I see them. I have a hard time wrapping my head around even what a droid bar would be. They do a little bit of explaining of that in this episode. She says where the droids go to get specific types of oil that feel good to them. When they walk in, all the droids turn and look at them. They walk up. Bo starts in about some. Then... And what they're doing, and Mando escalates it real super quick. Bad cop. He just jumps in. Oh, you're going to tell me that oh, you're going to give me the goods, or I'm going to whack you. You know this whole thing. Just, you're wasting your time. You can't, this is Mando talking about. You're wasting your time. You can't reason with droids. She says, <laughs> I think pretty cogently. Literally, the only thing you can do. Their behavior's programmed. That's all you can do is reason with them. He points to one of the droids that had malfunctioned. So he, this is what Mando does whenever the droid conversation comes up. He's done it with multiple characters. They say, look, they're they're programmed. You can reason with them. You can work with them. He goes, not this one over here this one time. And that's his ex- exception to the rule. Exception that proves the rule doesn't work, whatever this is. Yeah, it, 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 uh, it actually starts to feel a little bit like – have you seen Avatar, The Last Airbender? The yep. TV show? Okay. This character, for anybody who hasn't, I hope you all have, is good. Uh, Katara, and her mom was killed by the Fire Nation. Whenever somebody tells anything good about the Fire Nation, she just goes, did I tell you my mom was killed by the Fire Nation? Every time. And she has a character arc, and I – it, it's it's fine. Like I'm not actually writing on the character or the shows. Excellent writing, good character, but a little bit of you know. Hey, this droid saved my life. Oh, great, that's good for you. Did I tell you about when a droid killed my mom? Thanks a lot, Batman. We know that you don't like criminals. Just 
Cal- calm your jets a little bit. He again threatened them, and the bartender Droid explains races. they want to fix this. They don't like that the droids are malfunctioning. It scares them that they won't be used on the planet anymore. Some of the droids were used back in the Empire, and the New Republic would have sent them to the scrapyard, but they are being used here, and they like that. They like to be of use. They like to be awake and working within their programming. They like all this. Experiencing things in their vibrant inner lives that they totally have. So they don't like this concept that some of them are malfunctioning and pissing off the humans and creating distrust and discord with the humans. They don't like that. But here on Blazar, they are giving us like a chance. That's why we need your help. We don't want to be replaced. We still have a lot to offer. He says that organics created them. They want to help. It's the least they can do. Sort of Organic boxes are so short. It's, it's, it's cute. They're really kind of patronizing the humans, which I kind of like. I mean, there's a conversation we had over how if you program them to act this way, then it's not really authentic that this is the way they would naturally act. But to a certain extent, what are they if not their mind? And who, whether their mind came from evolution or birth or whatever, the fact that they are almost patronizing to the humans. And yes, we help them because they really need our help and we like them. Almost like they think of us as pets as we think of them as pets. That's an adorable idea. So, like, you know, it, it I, I kind of love that. Human lives are so short. They need us so much. It is. but they're, I'm, I'm going to toy with that idea a lot on, like, that the droids are actually just affectionate towards us. There was a thing there that I didn't like, though, which was they created us. It's the least I can do. This sort of, like, you create me, therefore I'm a, I'm a, I have this obligation or servitude to you. Um, I mean, that, that part that can, can go down, toxic, a, that can go yeah, down a problematic rabbit hole. Well, it can. But then again, how many people when – how good does it sound if a human abandons their parents in a uh, you know crappy, low-level retirement home? And how many people instead feel, you know, I owe it to them. You know, they gave me so much when I was younger. I now have to take care of them. It's my turn to take care of them. They made me and took care of me. It, you're right. It, which it's that a really good point. Be, that relationship can be very toxic and problematic too. So you're not wrong, but I thought it was interesting. I'm going to toy around with that. I think as I watch more droids in my life, that's a really good counter because you're right. Yeah. That's just a good example. Um, Knock so, it out of the park, this guy, then they use, uh, then they talk about Nepenthe. It's a viscous lubricant that protects against mechanical wear while delivering program, refreshing some particles to the droids. So it, you know, probably makes them feel good. It patches the program. It's it's a beer and a spa all at once. Whatever. Patches the programming as the commands of the mid-frame change. The droid checks something, says, it seems the malfunctioning droids all imbibe from the same batch of Nepenthe. So there you go. What a coincidence that nobody noticed until now. Like, it doesn't seem like it really needed crack detectives. I'll tell you, it. we only had 20 minutes to solve this case. So it had to be, it had to be quick. Rushes things and it's got an hour. So fair enough. Like they they rushed an hour long law and order into 15 minutes. Fine. They go check out the remains of the last malfunctioning droid. This is where we get the coroner scene. They check the fluid within it. And another droid. Was the actress who was the coroner? Was was the, was the actor who's the coroner? Were they somebody famous? Not that I know of. Okay. They, they focused on them enough, and often, you know, the coroner would, might, might be somebody famous in I was expecting them to be somebody famous. And they focused on them in their face more than a random NPC a lot of the time, you know? Um, so I thought it might be somebody that I didn't recognize. Whatever. Moving on. So the droid, there's another droid that takes the fluid out of the dead droid, right? Um, when the subparticles get, then they, they look at this under a microscope. When the subparticles get into the droid that took the fluid, as they're doing that, as they're looking under the microscope, 
When the subparticles get into the droid that took the fluid, it attacks now. Mando uses the dark saber to destroy it. They look at the subparticles. They are actually nano droids. So the subparticles are teeny little droids. And the triations are an aberration in the metal. She looks closer and it's actually writing. It's a chain code. And we were able to determine its point of origin. So this is a lot of information very fast. But in essence, what it's saying is there was something in the Pente that was put there that is activating these droids to malfunction and freak out and raise sand hell. That's what they give you two minutes of really fast talking to explain. Easy enough to follow. Fine. Yeah. Yep. Sure. So she says these droids were ordered by an individual to do this. And then they are able to look through the chain code to figure out who that individual is. It's Commissioner Hellgate. Christopher Lloyd himself out of security. Oh, wait, oh, wait you're, you're saying that the, the super famous person who was just a random no-name character turned out to actually be the, the villain? Seems that way. Seems that well, way. You know, it, you know, it's funny because it is an homage to a Law & Order episode, but in a way, I guess if you want to criticize the episode, you could say, you actually dumbed down a Law & Order episode, which is kind of hard to do. Like, Law & Order episode is pretty dumb and formulaic already. It's like, you've even dumbed it down even further to, to advance this plot in a very fast amount of time. Yeah, I dumbed it down. Yeah, I guess they sort of did. Simplified it. They made it shorter. Uh, but you're right. I mean, though, I mean, that part of, of course, is the famous person. When you saw that Bob Saget was the guest star on a Law & Order episode, you knew he was the killer. He did it. Every time. You know, I don't care if he's the victim in the middle. He's going to be the killer by the end. That's how it works. Bo and Mando go back to Commissioner Hellgate. Bo says, I have some questions for you. Mando explains that they know about the Nepenthe and that he programmed the droids to malfunction. Commissioner Hellgate then threatens to press the, I have got a button. I've got a big yeah, button shut here. shut off all the droids, right? It's going to shut them all down. They're all going to go inactive, and the people are going to have to learn how to go back to the soil and, and live as, as, as space god intended as farmers. I think that he says he actually can send them all into a spiral. Make oh, them no. all go crazy. Like, can you oh, believe no. that? It's a murder button. It's to kill all of scary. my Scary. He's got the scary button. Bo says, Why do we even have that button? We should get rid of the button. Let's we decommission the button. button. We gotta decommission the button. Bo says, you gotta give up. He says, I never give up. I didn't give up to the corrupt empire or corrupt republic, the empire, and I won't give up to you. And then they start to figure out this guy's a separatist. He says, ah, that's a pejorative term. I support democracy. Count Dooku was a visionary. I like this line. He was cut short as prime by the Jedi. But, Bo, about, Bo, about eight inches shorter. About eight inches shorter. How Bo's, much he was cut short? Bo's not going to let this. Yeah. yeah. Bo's <laughs> not going to let this bullshit go. He, she doesn't, she's not going to sit and listen to somebody tell her that Count Dooku was really awesome and that he was doing a great job. If you know Bo's history from the Clone Wars, not, not going to happen. Bang, bang, shoot him up. Cut to Lizzo and Jack Black playing some kind of cricket. And Grogu's cheating for Love this detail. Absolutely adored it. Some people thought it was silly. I don't care. You're I, not going like to tell me. You will not tell me. What was that? You're not going to tell me that a child that has force abilities will not fuck around with force abilities from time to time. We've seen him pull the sweets out of air, right? He, he pulls the, the, the food to him. He's going to cheat at games if you give a kid force abilities. Oh, I, I, I do want to know the details of this game because apparently throwing live objects against each other and expecting them to bounce through multiple holes is like an impressive move, but is a thing that the game expects you to sometimes achieve. So it's an interesting game. I want to know the details of it. Roly poly ball. Yeah, I like little force kid helping me. Um, and so yeah, it, it helps a little bit when your goal is you know fly the ball through some hoops in anti gravity 
ways. It's kind of what the course is for, my man. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. Bo and Mando bring him in. Hellgate admits it. And then JB criticized, Jack Black criticizes him, and he says, well, if that isn't the quack to calling the stifling slimy, Commissioner Hellgate says that the planet is unrecognizable since he, al- he arrived. I had a feeling you hated me, says Jack Black. He seems kind of sad about this, like it hurt his feelings. She launches into a... What it's interesting to me is that we have a kind of parallel scene, right? Because we have Lizzo standing up for Jack Black because he's not of royal blood, but he still came in and he's worthy of leading this, these people and he's worthy of all of the benefits that Plantier 15 has to offer. And you're not going to say that he doesn't belong here, basically. Get a similar scene at the end with Bo and, and, and Mando. I'm not Mandalorian. You're not Mandalorian. Anyway. And she then exiles him to the moon of Paraquat. So, yeah. bye-bye. The Duchess then says that they have an audience with the Mandalorian privateers. If they want it, then they give him the key to Plazir. Bo accepts it. He says, you will always be welcomed in our domed paradise. And to this little one, who I have adored and fed and who has helped me cheat at cricket, I grant knighthood. You are now a knight of the Independent Order of Regencies. So, Grogu is a knight now. I will The Independent take Order it. of Regencies. That's a weird title. Like, Maybe maybe there's other kingships that aren't in the Republic, and they have a special club every Tuesday or something. I don't know. I just took it as Jimmy. I just this would be like, hey Jamie, I induct you into the order of the secret men of the Brotherhood. And you're like of the podcast of the great uh, awesome doesn't yeah. need a thing. Uh, I'll take it. I will put it on the back of Grogu's playing card though. Absolutely, knight Grogu official knight. Write it down. Wait, he's he's not a knight of the Jedi Order. He's like, I didn't fucking say Jedi Order, my man. No, he's a knight. So Mando picks him up. Grogu's ready to go with that, but he does wave at Lizzo as he leaves. Grogu having a good old time. He had a good episode. Real real strong episode for Grogu. He had fun. And then take off to the landing field. He He didn't do anything. It was great. It was his best day of his life. And I think if you're going to criticize this episode, I think you could say that maybe the – Episode could have ended here because everything else that happens in the episode is a completely different feel. They kind of leave this law and order parody behind and then they actually go back into the plot of the series and yeah. it does feel a lot different. Um, so they take off to the landing field. Modu, Mando is hyping her up, telling her, look, you're their leader. She's like, I'm not their leader anymore. Mando's like, what's your play? She's like, I don't know. I'll know it when I get there. Here's the thing. Somebody tells you, I'll know it when I get there. What they mean is I don't know. That's what they mean. She walks up to the group of them with all their ships. Wolves sort of ignores her, then finally looks at her. Have you come back to join our mercenaries? She says, I'm here to reclaim my fleet. He says, it's not yours anymore. I'm now in command, and I've grown grown quite fond of it. Shocker. Anybody's ever watched uh, any bit of fictional media? It's like, ah, you left the army. Ah, Now I lead the army. No, I'm here to reclaim my army. All right, well, we shall battle. So that's what they do. Make the square, as it was in the last kingdom. Make the square, so they're going to challenge one-on-one. So that's what they do. And they fight. Bo wins. Wolf's complains, Wolf complains that she won't even take the dark saber from Mando. He's like, how can you lead us? You won't even fuck take the dark saber from your boyfriend. This is bullshit. He then says, I'll give it to her. And she goes, ah, it's not a gift to be given, no matter how well intended. This was discussed at the end of season two by Moff Gideon, who explained, once you have it, you can't just give it to another Mandalorian. It has to be earned. That's when Mando steps up. Again, Mando must have heard, probably listens to the podcast, must have heard that I called him dumb because he decided to be pretty smart in this episode. He jumps out and says, 
She defeated the thing that defeated me, that took the took the dark saber from me on the planet of Mandalore. And we saw in the flashback at the beginning of the episode. Not only did she do that, she actually took the dark saber and used it in defeating the thing that defeated Mando. Right. So the logic somewhat holds. And he's asked everybody, "Hey, what do you think? Didn't she? Didn't she deserve it?" And finally, Wolf speaks up and says, "Yes, she does deserve it." He gives the blade to her. She stands there. Da 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 da. Bo-Katan, new leader of the Mandalorians, she stands there. Now she's got the armor who supports her, and all of the armor is people. She's got Mando who supports her. She's got wolves and all the mercenaries, and she now has the dark saber. So shout out Bo-Katan. End of episode. So I found this. I found this interesting. On, and I found it vindicating because I was on here saying uh, I think she took the dark saber back. I think it's hers now because the weird, th- funny droid underground. Took you did it, say that. She you did say that. I'm, absolutely. And so. I mean, I, I wasn't, I wasn't being especially unusually brilliant there, but I was being really brilliant. Let's just give me credit for that. Well, it's it's one of those moments where you will point out a small thing, and I, I've heard from people who listen. They think I'm, I'm like frustrated with you. I'm not. I'm more exhausted with the show because I, I so often the show will breeze past these types of details that I just don't know what to give credence to because. They very often will have little details like that that they just, just completely let go. But other times they'll latch on to it. It becomes this extremely big plot point. So I just never know what to hold like, on to. Like how Beskar shouldn't be made into weapons. That easily could become like a weird line that matters. I don't think it will, but it could. But, but, it, but it could just be something they're glossing over and that Beskar can now be a weapon and we're just all going to forget it. I don't yep. know. Um, so thank you because I, I don't really feel – well, I feel like if you're frustrated, that's that sounds like a you problem. I'm just I'm just putting that out there, but because because I'm, I'm I just never light. I never know what to hold. No, well, <laughs> never with you, never with you, my friend. But I I don't ever um, know what to hold on to with the show because like I, I sometimes you go really deep and it holds. You get the logic will hold tight and you can tell it's something that Favreau thought about really deeply. Other times I feel like maybe they didn't give it that much thought, but this particular time you were right. That mattered. So I, I read something online I, and I forget who wrote this. So apologies for not giving good credit for the thought process. But it basically says that you know there is not a really good strict line for how to determine who owns the Darth Saber that we know of, at least. It's, you know, we've never heard of a part of the code that says exactly what beating means. Um, and, you know, apparently sparring wouldn't count. Uh, but, you know, challenging when you don't really intend to kill each other does count. She could have challenged him without killing him, we think, because he took it from off Gideon without killing him off Gideon. But she won't challenge him because she thinks she would have had to kill him and spill his blood. There's a bit of fuzziness here. And w- the thing I read is that fuzziness is, is really true. You know, maybe you, you, there's not even a person to go to to appeal. There's not a Supreme Court of the Mandalorians to figure out ownership. It's the people who follow the way would believe whoever the armor says is the rightful owner. But these folks, they don't they wouldn't care about that. They kind of care what Dick Wolf says, but they really still <laughs> I know, call it, I we call him Dick Wolf now. I'm calling him Dick Wolf. I'll take um, it. I, I call it Lizzo and Jack Black the whole episode. Yeah. So so they kind of care what he says, but there's there's not a strict rule of one person you turn to to get a ruling on who owns it. Arguably, Obi-Wan owns it because he uh, uh, struck down, you know, yep. um, Darth Maul, and because Darth Maul had it at one point, and like tossed it, gave it away, yep. but you can't give it away. So Darth Maul was still the owner. So and Obi Wan beat Darth Maul. Yeah, I can, you can go down a weird rabbit hole with the ownership. Exactly, and 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 they're not trying to do that. Um, they're not trying to go back to Obi Wan, and I'd be shocked if they ever even brought that up. So what it is, in a way that kind of fits with the themes of the season, 
trying to pair what makes sense, what they want to do to achieve their goals and their traditions and history in a way that everybody can accept. It doesn't have to be the strictest in the world. Does it count that she killed the droid? Probably. Can a droid be the owner? Maybe. Did ambushing him count? Maybe. Like, does this all count? Maybe. Something plausible so that all of them can still feel tied to the way and Mandalorian roots and their religion and their traditions. They couldn't just give it away because the traditions matter to them. They're trying to say, you know, whether or not the Darksaber is really stronger than a sword made out of Beskar or a different lightsaber or something. Maybe it's an intelligent sword kind of played with that, or maybe it just needs willpower or something to, to wield. It's different somehow. But the biggest power in it still is, it's still just a sword, even if it's a wicked good one. The power is the symbology. The power is what the people think it has. If they'll follow you because you have it, or if they say, we don't care that you have it, shove off. They all know that Bo-Katan is a better leader than him. He has let them be mercenaries, and they're content with that, but he doesn't seem happy. He just seems like it works, and they all seem to want to be doing something else. Bo-Katan makes sense for a lot of reasons. They lost faith in her because she didn't come back with a sword, apparently, because their religion, even if they're not you know, cult followers of the way, required them to follow the rightful person, the person with disorder, with the heritage or something. This is close enough. It's good enough. She has a legitimate claim. Even if it might not win in front of space Supreme Court, it's good enough for them. And more importantly, their leader, Dick Wolf, gave them permission to believe it's good enough by him saying it was good enough. I actually think this is brilliant because I was wondering why didn't Mandalorian Mando give it to her a few times since then? Why didn't he hand it over to her right after? The answer is nobody would believe it. He had to get them to say before he handed it over, is this hers? I'm not going to hand it over to her until you all tell me this is hers because now you all have bought in. And that was brilliant. I was trying to figure out if he was saving it for this. And the answer was yes. He was saving it to do it when he could get the people who needed to care about it to agree to it first. And he did. It didn't have to be this time. But he knew. He went in with this as a plan of this might be the right time for me to hand it back to her. Loved it. I agree. I agree with everything you said. I think it works. <clears throat> and I think it's <clears throat> this type of thing being called back later uh, makes the show more fun to watch because then you you never know what to latch on to. Like you're going to be watching the show and you'll be wondering which small detail you need to really be following Yep. Yes, you can enjoy this show as a casual watcher. You can just enjoy the fact that, hey, we got a longer episode. But there's also small details that matter over time <clears throat> that are important. So I, I like that they did that callback, and I think this works. And it gets everything – it gets where they want to go, which is, in essence, Bo-Katan is the leader of the Mandalore, uh, is Jin Djarin's bow, and also has a military force that will be important when they eventually all band together as the Mandalorian Avengers to attack Thrawn. So she, ha she has the army, she has an alliance with the Pope, and she has a close, close friendship partnership with the cowboy. Um, probably, probably. About how, you know, probably wait, is she the Mandalorian? Has she been the Mandalorian all along? Was it not Mando as the Mandalorian? And then in comparison to who's the boss and no, 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 Tony's the boss. No, it's, it's, it's fun. They can all be Mandalorians. It's great. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the show is started. It's fear. 
whatever Favreau says, it very clearly started the Mandalorian was about Mando, Mando. but over time it's become you know, sort of Mandalorian du jour. Like who, who are we talking about now? Well, we talk about Boba oh, Fett. Now we'll it, talk about. I mean, it, it's still is clearly it, it's the Din Djarin show, and it really is. It's him and Grogu and their show, and Bo Katan. It is fun to think of it as you know she is the Mandalore of this generation. And that's great. Good for her. She's still not our Mandalorian. There is more than one Mandalorian, so you can't put too much emphasis on the Mandalorian. Our the Mandalorian. It will always be Din Djarin, and that's fine. Um, but it doesn't mean it can't be episodes about other people or that other Mandalorians don't matter. Apparently, some people are really grumpy. They'd like the show's about Bo now. I'm like, A, Bo's awesome. B, they're awesome together. C, Din Djarin's still there doing a lot of the important stuff. Like, gosh, come on, get over yourselves. Completely agree. All right, let's move on to best line of the episode. Do you have any nominees for best line of the episode? Uh, my best line of the episode was, is also my nostalgic moment of the episode. And I feel awkward oh, saying that. Okay, sure. Roger, Roger. Uh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, just, just, just every word, every word that came out of the little. But you said you didn't care. You said you, you. I asked you about if you cared about the battle droid. You said, oh, nah, I don't give oh, a shit. So okay. What's the different names? The little battle droids I actually got emotional and happy about. The big ones with the, like the arm cannons I didn't care about. The ones that don't talk I didn't care about. Okay, well I, I think they're 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 different uh, models, but uh, okay. they're both battle yes, droids. No, the little battle droids I actually got very happy about. I wanted them and I wanted the roly poly droids, and I didn't get the roly poly ones. I don't care about the ones with the arm blasters, uh, but the little ones I love. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I think my best line of the episode. It's from Mando when he says, she defeated the enemy that defeated me. Would this blade not belong to her? And then Dick Wolf, as we're calling him, says, it would. It would belong to her. Because you're, you're right. Without him affirming it, the fallen ex-leader affirming it, I'm not sure everybody there would have rallied. Yeah. They might have they might have still followed Bo, but they might not have followed the fact that she has the Darksaber. If he had said something like, droids can't own it, get over yourself, or... Or he he could have said plenty of things to have thrown a huge wrench in this, which would have been, again, plausible enough that enough of his followers, even if they now were under her because she, you know, apparently you get to just knock him off the post and you're in charge. um, They wouldn't have accepted her as the true ruler if he had undermined that here. Completely agree. All right. Well, my nostalgic moment of the episode. That's a tough one. I think I'm going to get nostalgic for other parts of Mandalorian. Like typically the segment we do nostalgic when the episode and a callback to something from the main movies or something from Star Wars 30 years ago. I'm going to call back to Grogu always hungry. Grogu making the leap over to Lizzo, eating the fish, and then once being fed from, by all accounts, a pretty nice royal and elected leader here of this society. Decides it was probably to, good. It was probably good food. Decides to be buddies and has a buddy and it's, it's the way to, it's, it's consistent. The way to Grogu's heart is to A, not be an asshole and then, uh, B, to feed him. And C, be nice to his dad. Yeah, that's important. He's very defensive. All right. So there we go. We wrap up the episode. Any concluding thoughts about this episode as we move into the last two episodes of the season? I don't love the episode and I want to because it was fun and I like it when they have fun. It was interesting, and I like it when it's interesting. They tried something new, and I like it when they try something new. They tried a different genre, and I've been saying I want them to try a different genre. And that's why I said I have more feelings than opinions, because they did so many things that I've been saying that I would like more of, 
and it left me unhappy. I I did enjoy it. It wasn't a bad episode, but I didn't enjoy a lot of the choices they made and how it actually played out, which makes me wonder whether I want still want those things, but like I want a separate show that is a crime drama, Law and Order in space, or whether I was wrong, and I really don't want that, and it would you know pollute it, and I've been wrong all along. So I have feelings that are very conflicting, and I don't ha- know. That, that's what my takeaway is. They did all the things I said I wanted, and they left me unhappy. Yeah, once you just start doing a podcast with somebody, or at least for me, when I'm doing a podcast with somebody, I will then start watching the show, thinking about what they're thinking. Like so often I'm watching a show thinking, I wonder what Spencer's thinking about this show right now. <laughs> I I thought you were going to love this. So you and, – and you're – your explanation makes perfect sense that it, they, they did things you asked it to do. It just didn't work for you. And that's totally fair. Like I'm not, that, that's fine. I, I just, I, if I had, I had to bet after I watched it, I would have bet that you liked it. Uh, so it's, it did surprise me a little bit. Yeah. I, I'm almost disappointed in myself for not liking it. Like I want this to have, I don't want this to be the worst rated episode of the show. Frog lady. Frog lady should be I know. I know. And, and I, and I might count it as, it's one of my least favorite episodes because it was such a jarring tone shift that I, I, I think that's really what it is. And that kind of gives me the punt and the out of I still want all the things I said I wanted. It was a jarring tone shift to have it inside the Mandalorian. It felt it felt wrong. Um, I I don't know. Maybe it's just that each Star Wars show has had a fairly consistent tone. And Star Wars itself has like a, you know, Star Wars itself can be silly, it can be serious, it can be really deep, but it has, you know, one standard deviation of how serious it is across all Star Wars, and each Star Wars has a much narrower band. And this one went outside of its band and arguably outside of the entirety of Star Wars' comfort zone. You know, you don't get parodies or homage episodes like this. I, I mean, you get throwaway lines that are kind of nods to the audience. So maybe I'm maybe I'm even still overstating it. But there's a difference between a throwaway joke line um, and an entire episode that's a joke line. I don't know. If it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. All you can do is tell us what you honestly thought, right? <clears throat> and if you're watching it and it, it, it didn't work for you, then then what you do is you come back to the podcast, tell us all you didn't it didn't work for you, and that that's what you did. I you know you're obviously not the only person that felt that way. I mean, a lot of people it didn't work for them. I enjoyed it. To me, it was a sort of middle. It was mid. It was middling episode of Mandalorian in that I, I could tell what they were doing. They were doing a Law and Order episode. Didn't mind that fact. Um, but I wasn't like edge of my seat because I, did I really care uh, what was going on with these battle droids and the grand scheme of things? Probably not that much. Uh, so it didn't have me at the edge of my seat like, you know, an X-Wing showing up once Moff Gideon is taking control of the ship. And, oh, my God, it's Luke Skywalker. I mean, there's there's been highs of this episode or this season. Sorry. There's been highs of the series that are just so high that, like, something like this feels kind of mid. But I didn't hate it the way that a lot of people hated it outright. I didn't mind the cameos. I'm fine that we have some cameos in there. I thought that the Lizzo one worked less then it worked, and I thought the Christopher Lloyd one worked more than it didn't work. And Jack Black plays Jack Black. Well, and Christopher Lloyd also, he doesn't do as many acting or as many cameos these days. So you see him and you know who it is, but 
he's not as entrenched. You know, Jack Black has a lot of characters. When you see him, you're thinking of all his other characters also. Um, being less famous and being less culturally active right now helps in that regard. Plus the fact that he did an amazing job as that weird constable. He just, I mean, it was not that big a role, but he just knocked it out of the park. Yeah, so that's where I'm at with it. I'm excited for the next two episodes of the series. I'm really excited for Ahsoka in the summer. I think we're going to build toward a really fun culmination with the Heir to the Empire movie that Dave Filoni is going to do. I think that's coming in like 2027, so only four years to wait for that. But we will get eventually Heir to the Empire, which will be a big Thrawn battle, and that'll be a lot of fun. So uh, we'll see where the next two episodes of this season take us in that journey. I look forward to talking with you about it. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We'll be back with you next week to review the penultimate episode of Season 3 of The Mandalorian. Everybody have a great week. See ya.